Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 17, and we are recording on Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hello, Rincey. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I, you know what? I'm actually kind of marveling that we're already on episode 17. <laughs> I know, right? Isn't that crazy? And I do like the nice uh, symmetry there of episode 17 <laughs> being recorded on 17. I did not notice that until you said it out loud. <laughs> yeah, I was re- I was reading our little intro thing. I'm like, well, isn't that nifty? <laughs> so yeah, totally planned that. But yeah, episode 17, which on the one hand doesn't seem like, I mean, we haven't hit 20 episodes yet, but at the same time, I'm like... That's that's a lot. Yeah, we've been doing this a lot longer than it feels like sometimes. Yeah, it does. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to figure out we'll have to do something when we hit the the one year mark. We'll have to come up with something cool for that. Oh yeah, if anyone has any ideas, let us know if you want us to do something specific or special for that episode. Yeah, we've got we've got a few months between now and then, but I, I like looking ahead, getting excited. Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, so for those of you who may be new to the podcast, welcome. We talk about mysteries, suspense, thrillers, true crime, and everything in between. Uh, We talk about uh, new releases, movie adaptations, themed lists, um, other stuff that's going on in the whole mystery suspense world. And as we always mention on the show, we love to hear... Uh, suggestions from people about um, topics or news items that they that they think would be interesting for us to talk about. Uh, I think most recently we had someone mention they would be interested in a in a noir ep- in a noir themed episode, which I thought would be really cool because it's not my area of expertise. So I think that would be something cool to learn more about. But yeah, we love we love suggestions from everyone. So definitely um, definitely hit us up and let us know if there's something you'd like us to talk about. Um, and before we get into our first sponsor and the main part of the show, we did um, have one news item that we wanted to mention. Um, Millie Bobby Brown, who most of us know as Eleven from Stranger Things, she is in a film deal to both produce and star in a let's it's a t is it the TV series? No, it's a feature film. It or is a feature a, film. Well, it says a feature film series, so. Okay, well, that so uh, maybe maybe we'll just be getting multiple movies then. Um, but anyway, she's set to produce and star in the uh, series based on in the Enola Holmes mysteries um, by Nancy Springer. And there are, I believe, six books in this particular series. The book series starts with uh, the case of the missing Marquess, um, and or Marquess. I I can't pronounce these words right um but the main character character enola holmes is the much younger sister of sherlock and mycroft holmes so it's a spin on the traditional sherlock holmes type of detective story and uh so millie bobby brown is set to uh play enola which uh i think i haven't read the series but i just love millie bobby brown <laughs> Yeah, so much. And I will, I mean, I would love to see how she, uh, how she 
takes this new iteration of Sherlock Holmes and how she and how she portrays her on the screen. Um, so and the book in the book series sounds really interesting too. So uh, we don't have much more information about the actual film series, um, but if you are interested in the meantime, like I said, there are six books in the series by Nancy Springer. The first one is the case of the missing Marquess or Marquess or however you pronounce it. And, um, yeah, so this, so that'll be something to look forward to. And I'm also just kind of dumbstruck that a 13 year old is producing this. That's literally my thought. I didn't realize it said produce. I just like glazed over that word, but good on her for being able to do that. That's amazing. Um, I I was gonna say, I don't know what you were doing at age 13, but (laughs) definitely was not producing movies. Yeah, definitely was not. So I am, I am really excited to see what this looks like. Um, I actually kind of like depending on when this movie comes out, I might end up actually picking up these books because they sound really interesting. And it says in the um, deadline article that we have here, which will be linked in the show notes, um, that the first and fifth books were nominated for Edgar Awards. So they probably are pretty good. So I'm willing to check those out before the movie comes out. Definitely. All right. Um, So before we move on to the main part of the episode, I'm going to talk about our first sponsor, and that is Walking the Bones by Randall Silvis. The bones of seven young girls picked clean and carefully preserved. That's all Sergeant Ryan DeMarco knows about the unsolved crime he unwittingly been roped into investigating during what is supposed to be a healing road trip with his new love, Jamie. DeMarco is still reeling from the case that led to the death of his best friend months ago and wants nothing more than to lay low. Unfortunately, the small southern town of Jamie's idyllic youth is not exactly a place that lets strangers go unnoticed, especially strangers who have a history of solving violent crimes. And if there's anything DeMarco knows, it's that a killer always leaves clues behind just waiting for the right person to come along and put the pieces together. Uh, so Randall Silvis, who is the author, has been called a masterful, masterful storyteller by the New York Times Book Review and has been compared to Dennis Lehane. Uh, Walking the Bones is the compelling follow-up to the indie next picked and starred reviewed Two Days Gone, um, although part of the Ryan DeMarco mystery series, Walking the Bones, could be read as a standalone as well. So if you are someone who just like is okay with picking up a mystery series in the middle as long as they're standalones, this one will work for you. Um, this is being described as for thriller fans, but also a must read for fans of contemporary crime stories. Um, so if this sounds interesting to you, again, that is Walking the Bones by Randall Silvis. And thanks so much for sponsoring this episode. Awesome. Yeah, I've seen uh, his first book, Two Days Gone, at the library. Um, it was up on our new shelf for a while, but I haven't gotten around to reading it. Have you Have you read it yet? No, I haven't, but this sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so the main part of the episode, we were talking uh, after last episode, and we realized, you know, we haven't talked about teen, young adult mysteries and thrillers, even though, I mean, that's that was the age when I really started getting into uh, in getting into suspense novels and stuff like that. And I think that's the age that a lot that a lot of um, people start or start getting into these types of books or they got hooked on them as a kid and then they kind of progress through the audience level as, as they grow up. So um, yeah, like what was the first teen or young adult mystery that you remember reading when you were at that age? 
See, I'm really bad at remembering what's considered young adult because I remember very distinctly like having an obsession with Nancy Drew, but I feel like that was more when I was in like elementary school. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like just jumping straight from that to like John Grisham books. (laughs) So I for me, I never really I feel like I never really experienced that many young adult mysteries in terms of like what's considered really young adult until I grew up a little bit. And then I like found out about them later. Uh, Like for me, it I felt like I never really read young adult when I was actually in the age range of being the young adult of like high school or so. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. And I think part of that is just because I I was actually talking with one of my coworkers about this um, most recently, but I feel young adult novels have just exploded in terms of the number of them that have been published. And the I think the quality of them has just yeah. improved exponentially. Like I remember when I was a, you know, middle school into into high school, I remember the young adult area of our library and it was just like one section of a wall. It was like a paperback rack. And I just remember kind of looking at it like, oh, those are the books that the that teenagers read and just kind of thinking like, ooh, you know, there, there was something almost not, not forbidden about them, especially not because I, I'm pretty sure at that point I was reading adult novels. Like you said, I kind of went from Nancy Drew to like, hey, Michael Crichton. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I kind of skipped over that. I do remember... When I was in seventh grade, my English teacher in seventh grade got me hooked on books by the author. Do you recognize the author, Diane Ho, H-O-H? No, I've never heard of her before. She wrote, oh, what's the name of the series? It's called Nightmare Hall Series. And I can't remember if they were, if they were like outright suspense or if there was like a supernatural element to them. Um, I remember there weren't a ton at my public library. There were a couple in our school library. Um, I think they were, I was kind of catching them at the very tail end of their popularity, but I devoured those. They were so addicting and I loved them because they were dark and creepy and they took place at a college or like a fancy pants boarding school or something like that. And it was, I just adored adored them. And I haven't like, I had like that brief phase and I had read a couple of Caroline B. Cooney novels, but yeah, my young adult mystery phase, I feel like has gotten more intense in like the last five years than it ever was when I was a teenager. Yeah. I actually, while you were talking, I just realized that I think my like main experience with reading anything sort of young adult mystery was reading the Fear Street books by R.L. Stein, which are kind of horror-y, but they're not like all super horror filled. Like it's sort of like Stephen King in the sense of like some of them are really, really scary, but some of them are just kind of like suspense filled. Um, So I feel like that was sort of my main exposure to them because like my older sisters read them. And so there were always like a couple of the paperbacks flying around the house. And I remember like picking them up and being like way more into Fear Street than I was Goosebumps. Like I completely skipped Goosebumps as a kid and just went straight to Fear Street because I found those to be so much more interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I and I was actually the opposite. Like I was a complete Goosebumps fiend when I was when I was a tiny child. And I never read the Fear Street novels. I don't know if I just... Yeah, I just completely skipped over them. Um, And 
I do, I, my addition to this, and again, this was when I was a little bit younger, but when I was telling my coworker that we were going to be talking about YA uh, mysteries on this episode, she just looked at me and she went, Babysitter's Club Mysteries. I went, oh, yes. <laughs> I was all over those when I was, you know, nine, ten years old. I loved the Babysitter. Well, I loved the whole Babysitter's Club series, but I loved the specific mysteries. Oh, man, I totally missed out on that because I was a sweet ha- Valley High girl and I never <laughs> read any of the Babysitter's books ever any of them i never read any of them as a kid i completely went the other direction with that like sort of i think they're like you know those two types of people some people read babysitter's club and some people read sweet valley and i was a sweet valley girl yeah i i may have read one sweet valley book but i was totally 100 percent babysitter's club uh <laughs> Again, we've got like this opposite thing going on. It's awesome. I know. Um, we really balance each other out well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't rem- and unfortunately I can't remember the specifics, but yeah, we were talking re- I we were just talking. I remember just checking out like just these huge stacks of these series books. Um, especially with the mysteries, whether it was the Babysitters Club ones or the Nancy Drew books. If I didn't already own them, I just remember checking out like ten or twelve of these things from the library. Yeah. And I remember my mom asking me, just like, Are you gonna really well, she, no, she didn't actually actually ask me, "Are you really going to read all of those?" Because she knew I would. Um, but just looking at me, going like, you know, you have to leave a few books for the other people. You can't just check out the whole library. Yeah, I definitely did the same thing with the Nancy Drew books, and it like came to a point because there's like so many of those books that it came to a point where I literally had like a notebook where I would keep track of which ones I had read already because like there's like fifty or a hundred of them, and so like you know. Other people would obviously check them out. And so I would go through in order and be like, okay, I'm looking for number 12. Is number 12 here today? (laughs) And things like that. I have like very distinct memories of those yellow spines and like looking for the specific ones that I had missing from my list. Yeah. And I don't, were you like me where I could, I reread, well, I reread books a lot just in general when I was younger, but I loved rereading the mysteries, even though it almost kind of defeats the purpose of it because I know who did it. Like I've read this book so many times, I know exactly who it is and I know how they're going to stumble on the clues, but I found it so comforting to re- to reread these books. Um, and I definitely don't do that nearly as much as an adult, but I was just wondering if you, if you were kind of a, a serial rereader like I was. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't um, own a lot of books when I was a kid. My parents were very much like, if you can get it from the library, just get it from the library. Um, so I felt like the handful that I did have, I would reread all the time. And I think for me, it was also just interesting to see sort of like if there were like after reading the story for a first time, going back to reread it to see like sort of like what hints or even like clues or anything along those lines that are sort of left along the way that the writer might put in or the author might put into the book. I always found it really fun to sort of like reread it to be able to be like, okay, so now that I know what happens, let me see if I can see the different things that are sort of like sprinkled throughout the story. Yeah, I think I did that too. And I I definitely do that now as an adult reader, not just rereading, you know, young adult mysteries, but mysteries in general. Like, I've read Gone Girl, like, I don't even know how many times. And I mean, there's something special about reading the book the first time and not knowing what's going to happen. But then after you know what happens, you can go back and pick up all of the tiny little clues and the little hints that you missed along the way. And it, it makes it makes for a different reading experience. Yeah, I'm really Um, terrible at rereading books. Like, 
I almost never reread books anymore because I always just feel like I'm always drawn to the new stuff that's out there or just like the stuff I haven't experienced before. And so I'm always like, oh, but there's that other book that I haven't read yet. So I'm so bad at rereading. Like I keep telling myself I'm going to reread the ton of French books, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I need, I really want to, though. I like I want I think maybe if she like announces when her next book is coming out, maybe then I'll like get to do get myself to do a full series reread. But yeah, I'm so bad at rereading books these days. Well, yeah, like you said, there's just so many new things coming out. Um, and before I know, before we talk about some of the more modern uh, uh, young adult novel or mysteries that we wanted to feature, um, I know I told you, Rincy, but to tell everyone else, just for Snicks, I uh, wanted to see if I could get a hold of a copy of like an old like 80s, early 90s young adult mystery, um, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, slightly taboo paperbacks there. It's like, oh, I don't know if I should be reading this. Um, and lo and behold, my library had a bunch of copies uh, or had a bunch of different titles of Caroline B. Cooney's novels available as ebooks. So I ended up uh, so I ended up kind of speed reading one of them uh, today before before we um, recorded the episode. It was called Twins. And I actually remember reading this one as a kid. And I understand what the appeal would be to a younger reader. But it just totally cemented how much how much young adult writing in general has improved over the years. Um, the premise, um, well, the whole story felt like it felt like a VC Andrews novel for young readers oh, to God. give. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've read well. I read uh, Flowers in the Attic when I was an adult, but you get that sense of very kind of like slightly gothic but really like soap opera-y overly dramatic scandal you know just really really there's no subtleties here um and the the main characters are identical twins there's uh i'm gonna have to look up the names there's madrigal and mary lee i think is the other one's name and they're, so they're identical twins, and the book starts with the parents deciding that they're going to send Mary Lee to boarding school because they think the twins need to be separated. That because they are, they're they're too similar, and Mary Lee is throwing a fit because they are one. And how can you split apart? How can you take one person and cut them in half? And she is my other half, and just lot, lots of dramatic, you know, wailing and all that kind of stuff. And then she she goes to boarding school and she misses her twin and then her twin somehow gets a hold of her parents' credit cards and like illicitly purchases a plane ticket to fly out and see her. And then I I don't at this point I don't feel like I'm gonna, I'm giving away spoilers here. I don't think there's a bunch of people that are gonna listen to this and go, oh, I need to read this one right away. Um, but the Madrigal goes to visit Mary Lee and they. Um, the, Mary Lee's at her boarding school is apparently somewhere where you can ski very easily. Again, I don't know where this is taking taking place. <laughs> <laughs> and they they Madrigal says she's uh, when she arrives, uh, everyone's drawn to her, and she's the popular one. And 
uh, you know, and Mary Lee's just kind of in the background. She's learning new things about her her sister's life. Her sister has a boyfriend named John Pear. Like, oh, that's no. his name, John Pear. I'm like, okay. Like, pear like a fruit, John Pear. Um, but anyway, Madrigal says, well, let's let's play a trick on everyone. Let's switch places. Let's, let's change clothes and you be me for a day. And then we'll tell everyone at the end of the day what we did and it'll be hilarious. Um, well, that gets kind of... <laughs> monkey wrench gets thrown in the works there when they're on the ski lift and Madrigal falls off of her ski lift chair and falls onto the mountain and dies. And oh my god! <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm serious. Like this whole time, I'm just sitting here going, like, I read this book. I really read this book multiple times, and so Mary Lee. Everyone thinks Mary Lee is magical, and so she kind of is sent back home, and she kind of goes into Madrigal's life, and she meets this John Pear, and then she realizes that her sis, her twin sister, was not at all the person she thought she was, and I. Gosh, I was just reading this and I'm like, you know, as a kid who didn't know any better, (laughs) I feel like, you know, okay, it was it was a silly story. It was dramatic. And I'm like, okay, fine. But I reading it now. Well, I mean, as an adult, but also as an adult who has read some really fantastic young adult fiction just in general. I really, you really appreciate how much more seriously young adult authors treat their audience. Like, they're so much more realistic and so much more complex and nuanced, and they have these complicated emotions. And, I mean, there's, there's, it can be a little bit more difficult to relate to a teen protagonist if you are an adult, but they are done very realistically. And this, it was like she was like a little teen soap opera star. Like I was picturing lots of like hair clutching and pearl clutching and like, you know, wailing and you know, and lots of lots of whiplash emotions between. Oh, John Pear, I love John Pear. He's so intense. Oh my God, he's pure evil. Oh, my sister was pure evil. Oh, I wish my sister was still here. Like, but not in, but not in a realistic way. Yeah. Like I know, t- I know, teenagers and adults have go back and forth with all these emotions, but this was just, this was just silly. <laughs> and I, I read it, and I was just like, oh gosh, I wish, I, I felt sorry for my teenage self. That I'm like. Oh, if only I had been a teenager now with the quality of the books that are coming out now, I I just would have lost my mind. This it was just uh, it was it was funny for a nostalgic for a nostalgic thing and maybe I would maybe I would have enjoyed like her classic one uh, the face on the milk carton. Maybe I would have enjoyed that one a little bit more. But this one was just oh my lord. <laughs> Yeah, hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh, maybe there's a reason why I didn't read a lot of young adult <laughs> mysteries as a, te- as a early teen because these all sound not great. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, like I said, I loved these. I probably got this from like one of the Scholastic book orders or something when I was a kid because like I remembered the name John Pear and I remembered the plot and I was just like, oh yeah, I did re- I did read this, but then but I also would you know I would regularly read the back of a shampoo bottle if I didn't have a book on hand. So I'm like I would I would literally read anything that you put in front of me. But yeah, that one that one was a, was an interesting uh, brief trip down memory lane for me. <laughs> 
All right. Well, well, that was so much fun. Obviously, we're here to talk about more modern and much better mysteries and thrillers. And it's really fantastic, like being able to experience experience and read these books that while they are centered towards teens, even as adults, they're still really, really enjoyable. Um, I'll start off by saying the one that I just read that I really enjoyed that come just came out this week, I believe, um, is Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. Now, Maureen Johnson wrote a mystery series a couple of years ago. The first one was called The Name of the Star, and that one was more like a ghost story mystery, which was really interesting. Um, You're following this uh, character who goes off to boarding school in London. Um, She's from the United States originally, and someone in London is... uh, sort of replicating the Jack the Ripper killings in London, in modern day London. And so it's a mystery sort of surrounding the Jack the Ripper legend and things like that. So it was really fantastic. I think it was, she released like three or four books in the series. um, And then she got really sick and she couldn't like finish the series off. And so it kind of ends on a cliffhanger as a warning for anyone. If you end up reading it, it's still a really great series and you could, technically like read the first book in the series without like going on to the others although it it ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger that makes you want to keep reading in terms of like what's going to happen with the main character after all of this stuff is wrapped up um but she like took a couple years off from writing because she had some health issues and then she finally came back and she's starting a new mystery series and again this first one's called truly devious and it's so Good. Um, It takes place at another boarding school. Apparently Maureen Jensen really likes boarding school stories, which I am okay with because I also really enjoy boarding school stories. And you are following this character named Stevie Bell, who is a true crime aficionado. Now, this uh, boarding school that she's going to is called Ellingham Academy, and it takes kids for like their last two years of high school, basically. And when the school was first started, like a couple of decades ago, um, it was started by like this eccentric sort of uh, millionaire who wanted to make learning sort of a game for people. Um, and when he's like, I think a couple months into him starting the academy, his wife and daughter end up kidnapped and it became one of the sort of the great unsolved crimes of the 20th century. Uh, Fast forward to modern day with Stevie starting at this school. She's a true crime aficionado and she decides that she's going to go to Ellingham Academy and try to solve this cold case. Um, But while she's there and dealing with typical like school stuff and adjusting to this new world that she's in, um, it looks like the killer from then is either back or someone is mimicking the killer from that time period. So it's really well done because Stevie Bell is such a great character. Like she's a big mystery fan. So a lot of the story feels like almost an homage to mystery books and series and even like mystery TV shows and movies and things like that. Um, And I think that I found the mystery to be super, super compelling. Um, And obviously I'm not going to get into spoilers or anything like that, but it's going to be a really fun, interesting series, I think. Um, I think there's three books planned for it so far. Uh, it doesn't end 100% completely again. So if you are someone who needs complete closure at the end of your mystery books, maybe wait until the series is finished because I have a feeling it's going to just be one of those things where everything gets wrapped up by the end of the series because there are open ends at the end of the book. Um 
So, yeah, that was sort of the first one I wanted to talk about. I don't know. Have you read any of Maureen Jensen's books? I haven't. But the more you talk about Truly Devious, the more I'm like, I got to bump this one up to the t- towards the top of my list. That sounds so interesting. I also love a really good boarding school story. Um, I really quickly or I, I do want to talk about um, it's not it's not boarding school. Uh, it's not a boring school mystery, but it is definitely if you if you like the privileged teenage type of stories. Um, have you read We Were Liars by E. Lockhart? I haven't yet. That one's sort of always been on my radar, but I haven't read that one yet. I read it shortly after it came out, and it's a very fast read. And it's I mean the 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 I I don't want to give away much of the plot. Because I went into, this was one of the books, one of the few books that I read where I knew basically nothing about the plot. I just knew the, ta- like, the tagline that everyone was talking about with this book. They were like, if anyone asks you what this book is about, just lie. And I'm like, oh, how do you resist that? So um, I tr- when I give this book to teenagers, and I, am, I hand this book out to like every kid who comes, who comes by, who they're like, I'm looking for a mystery. I'm like, have you read We Were Liars? Oh my goodness. Um, but the basic premise, and I give me one second, I'm going to have to look up the name of the main character. I, Cadence, I think is her name. Cadence. I was like, it's, it's some, it was like charity or cat or chastity or, but it's Cadence. Um, she and her family, um, her extended family own a private island, you know, like you do. And they, she spends every summer there with her cousins. And uh, something happened on her 15th summer when she was there. But she doesn't remember what it is. And then she's, um, I believe, two years pass. So she's 17. And she's back on the island with her with her family but she still can't remember what happened but because everyone's you know everyone's acting very very differently but they won't tell her what's going on and like that's that's really all you need to know about the book um i do remember when i read it i i finished it i was on a plane i don't remember where i was going but i was definitely on a plane and i finished reading it and i was like having to contain my reaction on the plane so I didn't scare everyone. (laughs) But it's one of those books that you will probably have a strong reaction to. And yeah, just try not to read it on an airplane where you're in close confines with a lot of people because you'll kind of want to like flail about and go, what? Um, But yeah, that one is hands down one of my favorite young adult books that I've read in the last few years. And yeah, it's one that, like I said, I I hand this book out like candy to the high schoolers who come to the desk looking for something to read, especially if they say they like mysteries. And I'm like, do you like plot twists? Like, do you like not knowing what's going on till the end? Until then you're like, holy cow, what just happened? They're like, yeah, okay, this is the one you need to read then. Um, So yeah, it's, I mean, it was, it's been huge in the young adult world. If you have not yet read We Were Liars by E. Lockhart, um... I think you should go pick this one up. Definitely. 
Yeah, it's been like sort of on my radar. I read her other book. It's the one that's, I don't remember the first part of it, but it's something Frankie Landau Banks is like the character's name. Yeah, The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. So I read that one and I've been meaning to pick up more of her stuff, but I haven't yet. All right. Um, Now, the second book I wanted to talk about is one that I literally just read this week. Um, It's been one, it's one that's been on my radar for a number of years now. I've heard really good things about it. And it's called Fake ID by Lamar Giles. Um, The sort of like tag for it or the synopsis for it says it's like good for fans of like James Patterson, Harlan Coben, and John Grisham. So if you like those sort of more like straightforward mysteries, I think that you'll like this one. It's a really interesting premise. You're following this kid named Nick who his family, it's him, his mom, and his dad, and they end up moving to Virginia. Um, And you find out that the reason why they're moving to Virginia is because they're part of the Witness Protection Program, Uh, but not just part of the Witness Protection Program, but this is like the third or fourth time that they're starting over in the Witness Protection Program because their dad is basically a snitch. He worked for this like criminal, and so he agreed to snitch on the criminal um, in order to like get put in witness protection, but he keeps like doing things um, like starting a gambling ring in his basement and stuff like that, that keeps getting him like almost kicked out of the program. Um, So they finally get this other chance. Um, So they move to Virginia and then the first day of school, he ends up friends with this kid named Eli. And within a couple of days, Eli ends up dead. And it turns out there's a bunch of stuff happening in this town. And Nick is not really sure what exactly is happening who's responsible it's possible his dad might be involved in some way shape or form uh so the book is basically like following him as he tries to figure out what exactly is going on um one of the things i really liked about this book is the fact that it really shows sort of like the limitation of teenagers um i think that a lot of times with mysteries obviously there is always going to be like suspension of disbelief uh, but I think it showed really well sort of like kids having a very specific perspective on things and adults having a very different perspective on things and the way that it conflicts and especially when it comes to things like a mystery where you're you need as much information as possible it really I think this book highlights really well sort of like the limitations of being a teenager while trying to solve a crime and even just like being able to leave the house or being able to look into things without like getting in trouble with your parents and things like that. I just, I like those little details, especially uh, while reading this book, but I thought it was just like a really fun, interesting, compelling story. It's a really fast read. I mean, most young adult is relatively fast reads, uh, but this one, especially, I think that Lamar Giles sort of like sprinkles in little details here and there about like what's coming up next in the story that makes you keep reading because you find out that like this character or something going to happen to them or something's going to happen to another character and so you want to keep reading to um, figure out what exactly happens and you also want to keep reading to figure out what exactly is going on in this town so highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out already Uh, again it's fake id by lamar giles and he's written a couple of different mysteries and after reading this one i definitely want to check out more from him yeah and one of the other ones that i wanted to mention i know i've talked about on the show before um but i really do think it bears mentioning again uh tiny pretty things by sona chirapotra and danielle clayton um it's there are 
two books. I don't know if they're going to have more in the series, but yeah, there's Tiny Pretty Things and then Shiny Broken Pieces. And it takes place at a prestigious New York uh, dance school, a ballet school. And it follows uh, three main characters who are um, who are at the school. And it's I would I would call it a suspense novel because you think that one of the one of the dancers has it out for this new girl who has arrived and who's kind of, you know, really kind of taking she's really excelling and getting a lot of praise from the teachers when this when this other dancer, you know, she's kind of ruled the school her whole life. Um, and the, so there's a lot of cliquish like high school type drama is just set in a very prestigious ballet school. And so but things start happening, you know, there's someone sends, you know, like sends, sends the new ballerina moldy cookies or, or moldy something where she opens it and it's just this really gross thing in there. Or she's, um, there are accidents there that are supposedly, um, that are happening that aren't actually accidents. And so you have to, so it's trying to figure out who's behind all of this. Um, and the, uh, the book doesn't end with a lot of answers. Like it's it's a very open ended story. Um, so if you are so you know if if you read Tiny Pretty Things, you probably want to make sure you've got Shiny Broken Pieces right after, so you can so you can pick it up and start reading. But what I just loved about this book was the the di- the diversity of the characters it's it's just makes for such a really rich reading experience and the way that i mean when i hear uh, you know YA suspense novel set at a ballet school i figure it's going to be kind of a little ridiculous and over the top and there are elements of that you know a lot of the families are very wealthy and so there is kind of that that rich uh, that rich family dynamic that goes on in the stories. But there's a lot of really thoughtful, there's a lot of issues that are given a lot of thoughtful space here, like eating disorders and racism um, amongst the students within the families. Um, and, you know, there's stuff about, you know, dating and you know, issues of possible sexual assault. There's, there's stuff with the, with the students and the teachers, like, you know, are they like, are there unpleasant, you know, unsavory relationships going on? Like, and these issues are really, they're not thrown in there to be sensational and they're not there to, you know, to just like, Oh, and here's something new that's happening. Like it really gives the story a lot of weight that I wasn't really expecting. Like it's, it's, it's a there are parts of it that are a little fluffy and it's a very and it's a fun read but it's a but it is a very thoughtful read as well very compelling um and i was really i was really surprised by by the weight of this novel um and i listened to it on audio which was really cool because they have different narrators for the three different girls um and I have I own both of the books in print. I actually I got to uh, meet both of them at my first book expo a couple years ago, and I, I got uh, my copy of Tiny Pretty Things signed by them. Um, and so I, I have the I have the two print copies, but I think I'm gonna 
pick up the second one in audio again. Just it was it was such a such a really rewarding audio experience. Um, and in you know, in, I know young adult fiction is becoming slowly, but I think it is becoming more diverse. Um, but you know, there's a there's a lot of you know, white authors and white stories in the young adult literature. And this is just a really refreshing, you know, breath of fresh air, especially for for the mysteries and, and suspense novels. But yeah, um, I really, really loved, again, uh, It's Tiny Pretty Things by Sona Chirapotra and Danielle Clayton. Yeah, I definitely second all of that. And the second book is just as good. It's so interesting. I, I obviously am not going to spoil anything, but I think that the characters take really interesting turns in the second book and it shows like a lot of development that's, I was not expecting, but it was really well done in the second book. Awesome. Okay. Well, then I will definitely be picking that one up soon. All right. Um, so that's basically all we had for this section. Definitely let us know maybe your favorite young adult mysteries or if you've read any of these and want to talk about these with us we would love to hear you know what you guys enjoy especially in this genre there's so much out there and like we've been saying the YA mysteries and thrillers are just as good as the ones written for adults um and i i know there's so many out there that i haven't read yet so we would love to hear what some of your favorites are that you would want to recommend for us to read um i know i'm always looking for suggestions <laughs> so yeah and then um let me and i'll go ahead and move on to our uh, second sponsor which uh after reading the description i'm really excited about this one this is called the night market by jonathan moore and it's described as this mind as mind bending and masterfully plotted. And they compared this book to books by Blake Crouch, China Mieville, and Lauren Bucus. So you know this book is going to be bonkers. Um, it's a uh, near future thriller. And it follows Inspector Ross Carver. It's in San Francisco. The year is 2065. And Ross Carver is at a crime scene in one of the city's last luxury homes. And the dead man on the floor is covered by an unknown substance that is eating through his skin. But before he can identify it, six FBI agents burst in, remove him from the premises. He's pushed into a disinfectant trailer, forced to drink a liquid that sends him into seizures, and then is shocked unconscious. Well, how about that? Uh, so this all happens on Thursday night. And Sunday, he wakes up in bed to find his neighbor, whose name is Mia, uh, who he's barely ever spoken to. He recognizes her, but he's never really spoken to her. He finds her reading aloud to him. He can't remember the crime scene. He can't remember how he got home. He doesn't know what's happened in the last two days. Mia says that she saw him being carried into their building by plainclothes police officers who told her that he had been poisoned. And he, Carver doesn't really know this woman and does, and has no way of disproving her, but his gut says to keep her close. Um, to, when I read this synopsis, and maybe it's just because I've been on, been on an X-Files binge lately, this totally sounds like an episode of the X-Files, I'm just saying. Um, he, uh, the author of this, again, is Jonathan Moore. He's got some really big-name fans. 
Stephen King, Lee Child, Justin Cronin, uh, James Patterson, like these really big name authors are, are big fans of his novels. Um, this is the third thriller from Moore, and the other two books aren't exactly a series, but they are kind of related, um, kind of like how Town of French's novels are. I mean, they're, they stand alone, but they are also kind of interconnected. All of Jonathan Moore's thrillers are in San Francisco, kind of in this time period, and they follow different um, detectives or sleuths trying to uncover these ominous conspiracies. Um, Moore really likes to play with genre, so it's not, you know, this isn't going to be just a straight-up thriller. There's some science fiction going on, and there's, there's you know, some thriller and suspense and all, it sounds like some kind of weird conspiracy stuff going on in there. Um, and it's, yeah, it just sounds like this really interesting blend of genres and approaches. And it just sounds like a really unique book. Um, so if this captured your attention as much as it captured mine, uh, again, the book is The Night Market by Jonathan Moore. Um, and thanks to them for sponsoring the show. And if you're interested in his other two books, um, his other two books were The Poison Artist and The Dark Room. And then The Night Market's number three. All right. Um, and continuing on, I have the new releases for this coming week. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about is The Weight of Infinite Sky by Carrie Lesseur. And this one will already be out by the time you're listening to it. Actually, it's out now because we're recording on a Wednesday for <laughs> once. <laughs> um, so... In this book, uh, you are following the only son of a cattle rancher named Anthony Fry, who has chafed against the expectation that he would take over the business that belonged to his family for generations, uh, while his ancestors planted deep roots in the unforgiving Montana soil. Anthony wanted nothing more than to leave Billings for the excitement, sophistication, and culture of city life. After college, he fled to New York, hoping to turn his lifelong love of theater into a career. But New York wasn't the dream Anthony thought it would be. Now, with the unexpected death of his father, Anthony suddenly finds himself back in the place he swore he'd left behind. While the years have transformed the artistic dreamer, they've also changed Billings. His uncle, Neil, always the black sheep of the family, has become alarmingly close with Anthony's mother, and a predatory mining company covets the fry land. Anthony always wanted out of Montana, away from his father's suffocating expectations, yet now that he may be freed from the burden of family legacy, he's forced to ask himself what he truly finds important, answers that will ultimately decide his fate. Um, so this sounds like a really interesting sort of family mystery saga. Um, it's being described as inspired by William Shakespeare's Hamlet, which is what I found to be really interesting as well. Um, and I also just like stories that are set in places that I know don't either know anything about or don't typically read about. And I don't really see a lot of books set in Montana very often. So that also sounds really interesting. So again, that's called The Weight of an Infinite Sky by Carrie Lesseur. Um, the next one is a book in translation that actually came out a couple of weeks ago in early January, uh, but I wanted to mention it because while I was looking up new releases, this one just sounded really, really interesting too, um, and it's called In Black and White by Jun Ichiro Tanizaki and is translated by Phyllis I. Lyons. Um, so this is a literary murder mystery in which the lines between 
fiction and reality are blurred. Uh, The writer in the story, Mizuno, has penned a story about the perfect murder. His fictional victim is modeled on an acquaintance, a fellow writer. When Mizuno notices just before the story is about to be published that the man's real name has crept into the manuscript, he attempts to correct the mistake, but it's too late. Then he becomes terrified that an actual murder will take place and that he will be the main suspect. Mizuno goes to great lengths to establish an alibi, venturing into the city's underworld, uh, but he finds himself only more entangled as his paranoid fantasies, including a mysterious shadow man, out to entrap him and intrude into real life. A sophisticated psychological and metafictional mystery in black and white is a masterful yet little-known novel from a writer at the height of his powers. Uh, So the year that this was written was actually 1928, and this was written, uh, or this was originally published serialized in Osaka and Tokyo newspapers and magazines, but it was never collected and published as a specific book. Um, so I believe that relatively recently it was released as a single novel in Japan and then now it's finally being translated and brought over to the United States and other English-speaking countries as well. Um, so I just thought it sounded like a really interesting literary mystery. And again, that's called In Black and White by Junichiro Tanizaki. That one sounds really interesting. I didn't realize it was written in 1928. Yeah, right? It's I always find it really interesting, especially when like books in translation like they're sort of older almost like classics at this point um that get brought over finally yeah i was gonna say also i think i i would say if you're doing the read harder challenge if you're doing a genre fiction classic this would be a great one to do and add an author of color to your to your read harder challenge i think there's one that's also like read it i don't know if it's read a genre fiction or read specifically a mystery in translation so this would also So it would yeah, also- that would be a good one, too. All right. Next up, I have Anatomy of a Scandal by Sarah Vaughn. This one comes out on January 23rd. Um, Sophie's husband, James, is a loving father, a handsome man, a charismatic and successful public figure, and yet he stands accused of a terrible crime. Sophie is convinced that he is innocent and desperate to protect her precious family from the lies that threaten to rip them apart. Kate is the lawyer hired to prosecute the case, an experienced professional who knows that the law is all about winning the argument, and yet Kate seeks the truth at all times. She is certain that James is guilty and is determined he will pay for his crimes. Who is right about James, Sophie or Kate, and is either of them informed by anything more than instinct and personal experience? Despite her privileged upbringing, Sophie is well aware that her beautiful life is not inviolable. She has known it since she and James were first lovers at Oxford, and she witnessed how easily pleasure could t- ch- could tip into tragedy. Um, so this is, sounds like a really just suspenseful novel. It's looking at uh, scandal among the British privileged elite and sort of like the women caught in the wake of this scandal. And again, that's called Anatomy of a Scandal by Sarah Vaughn. And then the final one I'm going to talk about is called The Other Side of Everything by Lauren Doyle Owens. This one also comes out on January 23rd. Uh, Bernard White is a curmudgeonly widower who has lived in Seven Springs, Florida for decades and has kept to himself since his wife passed. When his neighbor is murdered, he emerges from his solitude to reconnect with his fellow Octonigerians. I always have a hard time saying that word. (laughs) Uh, These connections become a literal lifeline as a second and then third elderly woman is murdered and the originals, as they call themselves, realize that they are being targeted. 
Amy Unger is an artist and cancer survivor whose emotional recovery has not been as successful as her physical one. After the woman next door is murdered, she begins to paint imagined scenes from the murder in an effort to cope with her own loss. But when her paintings prove to be too realistic, her neighbors grow suspicious and she soon finds herself in the crosshairs of the police. And then there is Maddie Lowe, a teenage waitress whose mother recently abandoned the family. As Maddie struggles to keep her family together and maintain the appearance of a normal teenage life, she finds herself drawn to the man the police say is the killer. As they navigate their increasingly dangerous and tumultuous worlds, Bernard, Amy, and Maddie begin to uncover the connections between them and the past and present in a novel that ultimately proves the power of tragedy to spark renewal. Uh, So this... Uh, novel is being described as Laura Lippman meets Megan Abbott. Um, it's a suspenseful literary debut about these three generations of neighbors whose lives intersect in the aftermath of a crime. And again, that's called The Other Side of Everything by Lauren Doyle Owens. Oh, that one sounds so cool. <laughs> and so different, too. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I kind of want to see, like, after looking that one up, I, I haven't heard anyone really saying anything about it. So I'm kind of intrigued by it. All right. Um, well, I'll jump in really quick to talk about what we're currently reading and what we're finishing up and all that stuff to give you a little bit of a break from talking. Um, the I am not yet finished with it, but I'm in the last half of it. I've been listening to uh, the book Dark Town by Thomas Mullen. Um, last week or last episode, I said I was going to read. Um, Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley, and I have that book, but I haven't gotten around to reading it because I've been I've been listening to Darktown, and this book is really interesting. It takes place in uh, post World War II Atlanta, and it and it's set at the shortly after Atlanta has quote unquote desegregated its police force. Um, so they have a group of um, African American police officers, um, except they, of course, have their own separate office and their own separate. You know, they they walk certain neighborhoods. They're not allowed patrol cars. They're not allowed firearms. Um, and you know, they're not allowed to ask. You know, go into certain parts of the building. They can't ask for certain things. Um, and the um, the police, the two main police officers, uh, Lucius Boggs and Tommy Smith, um, uncover or they they find a uh, young black woman. Uh, they see her in the company of uh, an older white man who they find out is an ex-policeman. And then the the young woman short, uh, ends up murdered very shortly after that. And so they are trying to figure out what happened to her, but because of their position in the police force, they can't really investigate what's going on. And then on the flip side there, um, the story also follows a, uh, a white police team, um, the Rakestra and Dunlow and Dun Rakestra is kind of, you know, he's, he's watching all, he's a new, he's a rookie and he's, he's kind of idealistic and he's seeing all this corruption going on around him. Um, and he's seeing the corruption of his own partner, um, and not really buying into it, but not really standing out against it. Um, and the, um, and so he's kind of invest doing his own 
parallel investigation because he knows about the the young woman who was murdered. Um, and so he's kind of doing his own investigation at the same time. And right now, the two storylines, they, they intersect every once in a while, but they haven't come together with the way I – or which I think they will by the end of the book. But the – it, this is such an engrossing historical mystery. It's gritty. It's so atmospheric. You feel like you're in the heart of Georgia. Um, and the the author just does a really fantastic job of setting up the um, the immense challenges that these black police officers had to face at the time. It just, it feels so realistic. And, you know, at the same time, you know, you, it's not, honestly, not that far removed from our current day. And you can really see, you know, it's like the, the old saying, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And you really see a lot of, you know, people, if people think, you know, well, you know, racism is racism. Racism is dead. It's like no, it's not. Like you know, it hasn't. This happened not that long ago. There are still remnants of this to different degrees in different areas of the country. But it's it's just a really fascinating read. It's fantastic on audio. The narrator's voice is so soothing and so calming. Like I just feel like I could just go to sleep listening to him, which I don't because I listen to this driving and I don't fall asleep while I'm driving. But he's he's just got such this really, really smooth voice that I just love listening to. Um, but then again, that's Dark Town by Thomas Mullen. And in terms of what I am starting, uh, I'm once again hitting a rut because I'm gearing up again into wedding planning is going full force, and that's got most of my attention right now. So I'm kind of like looking around, futzing around, looking at different books, going, I should read this. And then I'm like, ah, I also need to email photographers. So... <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what I'll, what I'll be reading next. Um, hopefully I can figure out something. Darktown sounds really interesting. I've never heard of that one before. That sounds super good. Yeah. It came out, I think like last, no, 2016, maybe there's, um, a new, a second book in the series, The Lightning Men that came out last year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. And, um, I also have to say, you know, it's it's not an own voices novel. I believe um, my I'm 99 percent sure that the author is white, but this I've I feel like, and maybe someone who's read it, if they had a different take on it, they can correct me. I feel like this is a really good example of a white author writing diversely and doing their homework. Um, I'm for for my reading experience, it's very well done so i'm yeah I, I really enjoy this one all right um in terms of what i read recently besides recommending that you guys all pick up truly devious by maureen johnson um i finished reading the lost ones by sheena kamal which i believe i mentioned in the last episode this was a really interesting mystery you are following this character named naomi watts who works as a receptionist at a private detective investigation firm she gets a phone call one day from uh, this person that she doesn't know, and they end up meeting for coffee. And basically, um, the daughter that she gave up for adoption about 15 years ago has gone missing. And so, uh, Na uh, Nora, did I say Naomi Watts? I think it's that's an actress, Nora <laughs> Watts. <laughs> I was wondering that, but I'm like, well, maybe they did pick the same name. 
<laughs> no, her name is Nora. I kept say I kept thinking Naomi Watts because of the actress. Um, <laughs> the character's name is Nora Watts. So Nora has had no contact with the adoptive or her birth daughter um, or with the parents at all. Um, basically, she gave the daughter away and had no contact. And so I guess the parents contacted Nora because her the daughter found out that she was adopted and was started to look into her who her birth parents were and so since she had gone missing they didn't know if like she had reached out to Nora at some point but she hadn't um and since uh Nora works at this private investigation firm and things like that this sort of story or this case basically gets stuck in her head and she starts to look into what could have potentially happened to her birth daughter um It was really interesting reading this book. Nora is such an intriguing character. I feel like I was reading the story like 99% for her. Um, She's super complicated. Uh, The choices that she makes in this book are like so like bonkers to me at times. Like she makes such poor life decisions (laughs) and she burns like so many bridges while she's trying to investigate this thing. You don't like always know completely what her motivations are and she's very much one of those people where she feels like the ends justify the means so she ends up doing a lot of things that are morally gray slash even black um in order to get the things that she needs to get done um i found that it's set in vancouver and basically like the west part of uh canada so i found that to be really interesting as well nora is of mixed race i believe and she talks she intertwines um conversations about race and even like mixed race and things like that into the story really well um without it being sort of like overbearing there's just sort of like it's mentioned and it's not like ignored which is always really nice too um there's a second book in the series coming out this year that i'm definitely going to be picking up just because i want to see sort of like the consequences of this first book and how they play out like the story itself ends completely um but it'll be interesting to see sort of like what her relationship is with the people who work at the private investigation firm and her family members and things like that who you see her things that really upset them and seeing sort of like how or if there will be any consequences uh, to that in the future so again that's called the lost ones by sheena kamal i thought it was a pretty good mystery and again i think it's one of those mysteries where i think the characters are more interesting than the mystery itself but i don't mind that one bit and then in terms of what i'm going to be starting i'm going to be reading the widows of malabar hill by sujatha masi which i'm so excited about um katie has raved about this book multiple times on this podcast so i'm sure you guys know all about it um but if you aren't aware it takes place in 1920s india and you are following the first uh female lawyer in bombay and she basically gets this case to um deal with i think it's a will for a um, Uh, three different muslim widows and i think like stuff sort of happens from there and someone ends up dying and so uh the main character ends up investigating what exactly is going on um yeah i've heard nothing but amazing things not just from katie but from everyone who i know who has read this book so far and i'm super excited to read it for myself so that is definitely what i will be reading next yeah i actually picked up a hardcover copy of that when i was at barnes and noble over the weekend um, I was looking around and I was like, oh, it came out. I forgot it came out. So I was like, yoink, I am taking a copy of that for myself. That is a book I definitely want to keep on my shelf. 
Yeah, if after I read, I got. I was telling Katie this offline, uh, but I got approved for an advanced reader's copy and I didn't realize it because I didn't get the notification like a digital advanced reader's copy. And I was very upset by that fact because I could have been reading this book so much earlier. <laughs> I remember you texting me that. I forgot about that. Yeah. So after I read a digital copy, I'm sure I'll be picking up a physical copy for myself eventually. Yeah, it's got a very nice cover. All right. Um, so that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Um, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. There'll be links to the news stories as well as to all of the books that we've talked about in this episode. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can discover us and hear us talk all about mysteries and thrillers and join in the conversation. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at rudderdead at bookriot.com. That is sort of like the general email for the podcast and those always get forwarded over to us. Um, otherwise you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library. Lake. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye.